Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Before we get into this bonus episode, I just wanted to plug that Vulture Festival is happening again the weekend of November 12th and 13th. And on the 12th, I'll be doing a live Good One with Kamal Nanjiani. And I would love for you to come because it's going to be really good and fun and interesting. Uh, You can get tickets at vulturefestival.com. So what is this episode? Um, I know there's supposed to be a proper interview this week based on the new bi-weekly release schedule. Uh, but we had a, a couple of ill-timed illnesses and things got pushed around. Uh, so the next new interview will be coming out next Thursday. But I wanted to give you something to keep the feed warm. And so what we have today is something really special. This podcast is here to bring you all things comedy. And with that, with this bonus episode, we have an exclusive audio excerpt from George Saunders' new story collection, Liberation Day. Booker Prize and MacArthur Genius Grant aside, Saunders has long been revered by comedians as the rare writer who really gets comedy. It's noteworthy that not just anyone gets Tina Fey to lend her voice to their audiobooks. What follows is Saunders setting up the story The Mom of Bold Action and then Fey reading said story. So here is George Saunders. Yeah, so this is from a story, uh, it's the opening of a story called Mom of Bold Action, and uh, it's just that uh, we're going to drop into the mind and the kitchen of this uh, suburban mother who is an aspiring uh, kids book writer. And she's kind of brainstorming some ideas, uh, sort of waiting for her son to, uh, to come in through the back door. And this is read by Tina Fey. The Mom of Bold Action Again, she found herself spending her precious morning writing time pacing her lovable sty of a kitchen, making no progress at all. Why was she holding a can opener? Hmm, that could be something. The trusty little opener. Gerard the can opener was a dreamer. He wanted to open big things, bigger things, the biggest things. But all he ever got to open was, uh, beans? Corn? Tuna? You had to give him something essential to open to save the day. Medicine? Heart medicine? No, you did not open heart medicine with a can opener. Tomato paste? Some beloved person in the household really longed for spaghetti. Old Italian gal, friend to all, on her last legs. The spaghetti brought her back to Florence or whatever. But the modern high-tech can opener, Cliff, was out partying with a wicked colander and a cynical head of lettuce. Gerard saw his chance. Even though he dated back to the 1960s and didn't have a fancy rubber handle like Cliff, he could still open stuff. This was it, his chance to help dear sweet Mama Tinti get her final pre-death bowl of... Ugh, honestly. Why was Mr. Potts going nuts behind the gate in the mudroom? She'd already given him three of those peanut butter thingies. The discontented dog. The discontented dog was never happy, no matter how many peanut butter thingies he was given. When he was in, he wanted out. When out, she grabbed another peanut butter thingy from the box. The peanut butter thingy who sacrificed himself so the other peanut butter thingies in the box could live. Jim, the peanut butter thingy, pushed his peanut-shaped body higher and higher toward the questing human hand. Jake and Polly watched, amazed. Was Jim trying to get eaten? Go on, live your dreams, you two, Jim shouted as a thumb and finger grasped him around his, uh, slender place, the place that, for peanut butter thingies, served as a waste. She moved the gate, gave Mr. Potts the peanut butter thingy, leaned out the door, called for Derek to come put Mr. Potts on the tie-out. No reply. The son who failed to reply. Once upon a time, there was a son who, when called, failed to reply. Was he deliberately ignoring her? Because pre-adolescent? Was he masturbating yet? Was that her business? 
The mother faithfully checked underwear-slash-sheets for signs of masturbation so that, as needed, she could let him know in her quiet way that everyone, even famous people, even our great historical... (gasps) A time for oneself. George Washington, twelve years of age, lay in his bed, a four-poster which had been made, as all beds were back then, by hand. Was it weird? What he'd been imagining... Their neighbor, Mrs. Betsy Alcott, in that form-fitting bodice reaching over to take off his tricorn hat? No, if a person felt something, it was, by definition, normal. If he found himself touching himself while imagining the slender Mrs. Alcott bringing her quill pen absent-mindedly to her full lips, no doubt other little boys in other times and places had felt inclined to touch themselves while imagining similar things. Therefore, it was fine what he was doing— He suddenly felt so free, and, feeling free, began to dream of a new land. A land where all could feel as free as... Lord, nearly noon. Time to sit down and actually write something. Where was Derek, though? Seriously, she worried. As a baby, he'd had a collapsed lung. You good? She'd called out last night from bed. You're turning him into a nervous wreck, Keith had said. I'm fine, Derek had called from his room. Also, not deaf. Lungs still going, Keith said. Far as I can tell, Derek said. We just worry, she said. We love you so much. Right back at you, Derek said. Then there'd been this sweet silence. She adored it, having a family. TV families were always fricked up, but hers was something else entirely. They liked one another. Had so much fun, trusted one another and confided in one another and accepted one another just as they were, no matter what. Not out front, not out back. What the hell, seriously, he'd promised to stay in the yard, and this was a kid who never broke a promise. (gasps) The boy whose bad lung conked out in the woods. The boy who lay feebly calling out for his mom. The boy who died utterly alone and became one with the spirits of the forest. And evermore the mother wandered the woods, seeking her lost boy. Eek. The mom who rushed into the woods, but once there, forgot how to do CPR, but then suddenly remembered. Oh God, oh God, her cheeks were so hot. Derek was hurt somewhere, she just knew it. A mother knew these things. She grabbed her cell phone and the first aid kit and wait. Whoa, hold on. This right here was what Keith was always talking about. She was freaking out. She had a tendency to get worked up. Sometimes a mother did not just know these things. Last month, she'd just known that he'd been abducted from the bus stop. She'd raced down there in her bathrobe and house slippers. He'd seen her coming, started shaking his head like, Ma, no, no, no. But too late. The older boys were already imitating her shuffling run. Once, she'd dreamed he'd started smoking. In the dream, he'd been smoking a cigar at Cub Scouts, sort of flaunting it. He had a man's voice and, in that voice, asked Mr. Belden if there was such a thing as a smoking merit badge. Next morning, in real life, he'd busted her sniffing his clothes and started bawling the way he did when he was totally telling the truth but not being heard. Why would I smoke, he'd said. Ma, that's disgusting. What you had to do was overrule your irrational fears by learning the facts. She'd read about this in Best Life. One gal, scared of flying, had spent the month before her trip to China memorizing air fatality statistics. A man afraid of snakes had come up with a mantra about the majority of snakes being non-venomous. In another article, parents, intending the best, had gone too far. 
One mom super focused on eating right had turned her daughter anorexic. A dad had been too strict about violin practice and now his son hated music, also had panic attacks whenever near polished brown wood. All over the world right now, thousands of boys were out farting around, having broken a promise they'd made to stay in the yard. Most woods were not dangerous. Generally, lungs did not just fail. The world was not a scary or hostile place, and Derek was a smart little guy with a good head on his shoulders. He was fine. What she was going to do was sit down and write something. What she was not going to do was hover by the window. Much. The tree who longed to come inside. Once there was a tree who longed to come inside and sit by the wood stove. He knew this was weird. He knew that his fellow trees were being cruelly burned in there. But gosh, the kitchen looked so inviting. Because of all the hard work the mother had done. Painting and whatnot, when she should have been writing. The smoke pouring out of the chimney smelled so nice. The flesh of his fellow trees burning smelled amazing. Yikes. Restart. Once there was a tree who longed to come inside. Tim the tree felt so drawn to people. Even as a sapling, he'd just loved hearing them talk. Gosh, what was a transmission leak? What did the daddy mean by, you obsess too much? What did the mommy mean by saying that obsessing was her superpower, which she used every day in her work? There were so many words to learn. What was apology? What was perturbed? What was darling? If the wind was blowing from the east, bending him slightly to the left, he could peer into the kitchen through the dirty little window over the sink, which hadn't been washed in ever so long, through which the mommy was now gazing out at him, a worried look on her... Restart. Tim the tree loved his spot near the path into the woods from which he could watch the comings and goings of the various forest denizens, large and small, such as bears, foxes, hikers, hunters, and today... A strange tableau. That phrase just popped into her head. Derek walked into the yard, stumbled, blood on his face, holy crap, weaving like a little drunk. She burst out of the house, followed by Mr. Potts, who, barking insanely, plowed right through the garden. She plowed through the garden herself, picked Derek up, plowed back through the garden, dropped onto the porch steps with him in her arms. What happened, baby, she said. Baby, what happened? Old guy, he said. Old guy, she said. What old guy? He came up behind me, he said. Pushed me down. Where, she said. Derek didn't want to say. Sweetie, where were you, she said. Church Street, he said. That was, oh my God, that was nearly downtown. Way disallowed. Now was not the time. She got him inside. Nose not broken, no teeth chipped. She called Keith at work, called the police, cleaned up Derek's face. It looked like he'd been clawed. He just... Pushed you down, she said. Into a bush, he said. Must have been a rose or a blackberry. Jesus. Ten minutes later, Keith walked in. What's all this, he said. Her phone rang. The police had a guy, already, old guy, kind of out of it. They'd found him wandering back and forth between church and belfry. Would she come down, have a look, bring the kid if he was up for it? Oh, he's up for it, she said. That's it for another episode of Good One. You can buy Liberation Day wherever books are sold. Good One is produced by myself, Trelawney Carter, and Camila Salazar. Governor Shrikashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. 
I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture in the Box Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one. Welcome to Good One. Show about talking them jokes. Mm, son. Hey, 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 good one. It's a good one.